So good morning. Um, so twice in the past year, I have been awoken at 4 a.m. by two different alarm clocks, which is what it takes to awaken me at 4 a.m., and rolled out of bed and driven to a parking lot and gotten on the love bus. Now, the official name of this bus is actually the Show Me Equality bus, which is a project that five times so far has taken same-sex couples and clergy from St. Louis, Missouri, Missouri, of course, being the show-me state, to Iowa City, Iowa, for legal weddings. Four of the five buses so far have had ethical society clergy or officiants on them. These buses are organized by two St. Louis activists named Ed Reggie and Scott Emanuel. They married each other on the first bus trip, which I was on because the only thing better than finally being able to marry the person that you love is, of course, helping other people to experience this and to show all the world what love is like by documenting these trips. And there's been a documentary and, and some media coverage on these. But I call the Show Me Equality bus the love bus because for all the politicalness inherent in this, the political outrage inherent in adult citizens having to drive six hours and cross state lines simply in order to get married. And then, of course, coming back to Missouri to have those marriages be considered invalid. Aside from the political nature of it, really having been on the bus twice now, I can tell you that it is not primarily a bus about politics. It is a bus about love. It's about the love that each of these couples has for each other and about the desire to show that love is not something to be feared, but rather it is something to be spread to every country, to every state, to every nation on earth. Since we are concerned in ethical culture, of course, with what motivates people to act, to act on their values, to act for justice, I've been thinking about why it is that I have been willing to get up at 4 a.m. to get on this bus. I believe in a lot of things, but again, I don't necessarily get up at 4 a.m. for them. When I think about my life and how I I grew up. I did grow up knowing a lot of out LGBT people, and my parents taught me that they were no different than anyone else. And when I think about it, I don't remember ever having sort of a talk, having sit down, a sort of sit down talk, and let me explain this to you, but simply by my parents' natural attitudes and actions, it was just kind of an inherent message. I also grew up in love with the arts and with poetry, and I learned that much of the art and the writing that I loved so much that really taught me what love is happened to be written by LGBT artists. And so if such love and poetry could be universally acknowledged as brilliant as the essence of the expression of human love, then it didn't make any sense to me 
that the love that inspired these artists and writers could be wrong. And I also grew up falling in love with boys and girls. And I ended up with a wonderful man, and I'm very happy about that. But if things had been different, I might have ended up with a wonderful woman. And if I had, I would still be the same person. And I would certainly want that relationship to be treated just like the relationship that I'm in now. My first political experience with same-sex weddings was actually in 2004 when I was a leader intern at the time at the Riverdale Yonkers Ethical Society, which is in the Bronx in New York. I don't know if you remember this, but at the time the mayor of New Paltz, New York, had begun solemnizing marriages of same-sex couples because he understood that marriage inequality was unconstitutional. And hundreds of couples traveled to New Paltz in this period to have the experience of marrying the person they loved, just to have that experience even though they knew that the weddings were clearly illegal in the eyes of the state, just to be able to have almost a theatrical experience of it rather than a legal experience was still so symbolically important that hundreds of them went to do that and volunteer clergy were needed to handle all these weddings. And so I went to New Paltz as a volunteer. I'd only performed one wedding in my life before, but I did not tell them that. I said, oh yes, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Don't worry, I have no fear. And the day that I took part, it was in spring, it was a beautiful day, and the couples were being married under a tent outside. And there was a, a bunch of volunteer lawyers that were there to assure the couples that they were not breaking the law and to inform the clergy that, well, we probably were breaking the law. Um, and actually, on another day, two ministers were arrested. But the day that I was there, there were simply couples committing to love each other for the rest of their lives. And I married three couples that day. The first were these two young women who had met at college and were clearly the first people to discover love in the history of the world. <laughs> you, know, you know people like that. And, and I thought, maybe it's not ethical to marry this couple, not because they're the same sex, but because they're so young and idealistic. But then I thought, equality means the right to take the same leaps of faith and maybe to same, make the same mistakes that everybody else has the right to make. So I did marry them. The second couple were two senior men who had been together far longer than I had been alive at the time. And they were very serious and they were very afraid of the many issues that were facing them as a couple as they got older. And they had jumped through hoops and they had many legal documents that should give them rights if any of either of them got sick or died, but they weren't at all confident that their rights and their relationship would be respected when it really needed to be by authorities and institutions and courts. And they were probably right to worry because I've talked to a lot of couples and things happen very fast in emergencies and they often just rest on somebody making a decision at that moment. And it turns out that rights that rely on documents are much more complicated and much more tenuous 
than the sort of magical statement in our society, that is my wife, that is my husband. And the last couple that I married were two middle-aged suburban women who each had several women, and it was, it was very Brady Bunch. One thing that really struck me is that I met several couples that day that were marrying each other again. One woman said that she had married her wife so far four times. <laughs> they had crossed the country, they had crossed national boundaries, they had crossed the ocean to marry whenever and wherever someone was willing to perform a wedding or to issue a document, no matter how tenuous that document might be, they would go and they would marry. And one of the women said to me, I'm going to keep marrying this woman <laughs> until it is really real or until I die, whichever comes first. I will keep marrying her. And that really struck me. And until New Paltz, I hadn't really been that concerned with marriage equality. I think like a lot of liberal young people, I didn't think it was so important whether you were married or not. And, you know, marriage was this old patriarchal institution anyway. But that day I understood that marriage was important to all kinds of people for all sorts of reasons. And the faces, especially of those older men, stayed with me. All they wanted was the right to care for each other in sickness and in health until death parted them. All any of those couples wanted was to marry the person they loved, to marry them like any other couple, not to have a stack of paperwork, not to have a separate but equal civil union of some kind, to have a wife, a husband, to be a wife, a husband. So I care very much about marriage equality but what can I do about it? That is always, of course, the real ethical question. What can we do? I can talk, of course, and I do talk, and I talk mostly to people who already believe in LGBT rights, including marriage equality, and that probably includes a great many of you. But I think that there is still a big difference between believing in something and in fighting for it, in demanding it, in making it a priority among all the other things that we believe in. DC has marriage equality, and that is wonderful, but I know that it's surrounded by states that don't, and it exists in a country that doesn't. So I don't consider it a waste of my time to preach to the choir, because choirs need to be inspired to do more than sing although they sing beautifully. <laughs> and I need to do more than talk, so I've been figuring out different things that I can do. Um, one thing that I've been doing lately is that, as you do here at WES, we perform weddings for many people in St. Louis, couples who are seeking a humanist ceremony. And dozens of couples every year are married by me or by one of our volunteer officiants. Hundreds of people find out about humanist weddings through our website. And in 2008, I decided to stop signing marriage licenses for straight couples. 
because I believe that the biggest obstacle to marriage equality is this confusion in this country between civil rights and religious tradition. And this is something that they've been trying to separate in Europe. So I believe that our long-term solution is really to make all marriages civil contracts. And then religious ceremonies can be optional for whoever is interested in them. So as one way of simply trying to get this idea across, now every opposite sex couple who comes to our website or comes to us looking for information on a ceremony is directed to a statement about why I don't sign licenses and why. And it's just a little reminder that there are many couples out there just like them in heart and mind and spirit who are not allowed to marry. And it just gives people another opportunity to reflect on the principle that civil and religious rights should be separate. However, as long as clergy can marry people, I do use that ability to marry same-sex couples. And if that's hypocritical, then so be it. Maybe it's affirmative action, I don't know. <laughs> but I will perform marriages and sign licenses for same-sex couples anywhere, legal, illegal. I don't really care because marriage discrimination is just so blatantly unconstitutional and unethical and against all our ethical values. But of course, legal marriages are better. So I've been really privileged and honored to ride on this love bus, and I can't wait to do so again. And I want to just tell you a few of the stories from that bus. The most recent bus had 17 couples. They had been together an average of over eight years. And I think in some ways, what I wish all of America could see is that it's a remarkable bus because it's very unremarkable. During the trip, people are trying to sleep, they're knitting, they're calling into work or home to see what's going on. We're passing around homemade cookies. We watch the radical animated movie Up. <laughs> you know, we stop at McDonald's, we stand in line for the bathroom. It's not like a big gay bus of fabulousness. <laughs> it, it's actually a lot like the bus trips that our Tuesday Women's Association go on, and they are very nice, rather proper elderly ladies. And the trips reminded me very much of each other. And I think media tend to emphasize the unusual and outrageous nature of the LGBT community. And of course, there are unusual, outrageous gay people, just like there are unusual, outrageous straight people. But the media does give this skewed view of the average person and family. And practically every couple I talked to on both bus trips said that what they wanted Americans to understand, first and foremost, is that they were like everybody else. And their families were like every other family, with the same basic feelings and needs in life. This, uh, this bus goes to Iowa City. Iowa, of course, legalized gay marriage a couple years ago. And the weddings take place at a UU church, a Unitarian Universalist church, which very kindly donates their space and volunteer time from their members and clergy. And we get there, and everyone has about an hour to change with 17 couples, if you can imagine. And we're in these Sunday school rooms where all the chairs are this big. 
and it's very crazy. And because we have to do this in a day, and it's six hours each way, practically, um, the ceremony is designed to, within two hours, try to marry all these couples and let each couple have, you know, at least a couple minutes. It's not like a, you know, Reverend Moon mass ceremony. Um, for a processional, the partners walk out. Each couple comes from a different side of the church, and they meet at the front to hug or kiss or just to take hands before they go and sit down. This last time, the processional music was the song, What a Wonderful World, which was sung amazingly beautifully by a black Christian minister who had married her wife on the previous trip, and she was accompanied by a white, straight Jewish rabbi on guitar, and they made beautiful music together. The couples meeting each other at the front of the church were also amazingly diverse. There are black couples and white couples and black and white couples and white and Asian couples and young couples and old couples and middle-aged couples and mixed-age couples and people with disabilities. One of the couples was dressed in matching shirts and vests, another in suits and cowboy boots. In some of the female couples, both women wear dresses, some wear a dress and the other a suit, some both wear slacks and shirts, and some couples are dressed up and some are dressed down, and some couples you think they're not at the same wedding even, these two people. <laughs> I was lucky enough to be seated in the front pew, and, and as each couple came to the front, I, I could see their faces, and. Again, you have this huge variety of expressions. Some people are grinning at each other, some look very shy, some are in tears, some are smiling, some look kind of apprehensive, some of them are laughing, some of them are just in awe that they are standing there at the front of a church with their loved one. Each person, each couple is so unique and just looking at that very small sample of 17 couples in this last bus, you could see the diversity of the LGBT community, that each couple is their own story. Each has their own history. Each is made up of two unique individuals brought together by love. After opening words, the couples come up in groups, and then each couple steps forward one by one to take their vows. Many are accompanied by family and friends that also make the trek to Iowa, and there are aunts and grandchildren and siblings, and several couples had children, some from previous relationships, some they had had together, adopted together. Most of the vows were different from different traditions. Many wrote their own vows. A few of the strongest images that I know will stay in my mind. A middle-aged white male couple who had been together for several years one of the men brought up a small cardboard box to symbolize all the moving boxes that he had finally gotten rid of. And as part of his vows, he put the box on the stage and he stomped on it. And he said to his husband, I'm home. There was a black female couple who had been together for over 30 years, dressed in you know, their church finery reciting a poem to each other that they had written together. There was a young woman who sang the Beatles' My Life to her new wife as her vow. 
There was a woman in an interracial couple vowing that she would hereafter forevermore clean up after the dog. <laughs> Which was clearly the most important issue in their family. And then later on the bus home, we were all singing happy birthday to the tween who had traveled to Iowa on her birthday to stand beside her moms as they got married. And we passed around a Hallmark card and signed it. From the first bus that I was on, I will never forget the father who came to give away his young daughter to her new wife. They were also an interracial couple, and I've been trying to mention people's races because one thing that's been really noticeable to me is I've been in St. Louis for five years now, which is still unfortunately a rather segregated town, and these love buses have been the most racially diverse and harmonious experiences that I have been in. So, in the face of all this love and commitment and normalcy, do marriage equality opponents have any good arguments left? In a secular democracy, whatever the Bible says is irrelevant, even if we could tell what it said. And biologists and psychologists are pretty clear Finally, that same-sex relationships are natural and healthy. There are no reputable studies that show that same-sex families hurt children. In fact, just the opposite, if anything. About the only argument left is this notion that marriage equality will somehow lead to marriages between more than two people. And a lot of people think that that's just so ridiculous, it's, let's not even talk about it. But enough people bring it up that I, I do think it's worthwhile to address. And I was really glad because uh, recently there was a blog entry by Ethical Society leader Joan Lewis from the Northern Virginia Society, which was a really nice sort of encapsulation about how these things are not comparable at all. On the one hand, same-sex marriage requires nothing more than returning the laws to what they were only a couple decades ago, before marriage was defined as between a man and a woman. Nothing has to change but gender. On the other hand, trying to expand marriage to more than two people would be enormously complicated and it would require rethinking practically everything. Would a marriage among three people be legally one marriage or three marriages? And how would parental rights be shared? Could I divorce one of my spouses and still be married to the other one? What if the two are still married to each other? How are we related? If you spend a minute thinking about multiple person marriages, you will A, get a headache, which I can tell you, and B, you'll realize that you know, whether you think that's a good idea or not, it's a completely different issue. Finally, I wanted to say that the right to marry is important, but it shouldn't distract us from continuing to fight for all these other basic protections against discrimination that LGBT people face. And in Missouri, we are trying to deal with anti-bullying legislation and just basic rights not to be fired from your job or thrown out of your house. Um, I'm not sure what the local issues are here in all of your states. I'm sure that Amanda and Mary and others of you are very aware of them. 
Um, but I do think that even though, for instance, Missouri is probably going to be one of the last states to have marriage equality, unfortunately, unless things in Missouri change radically, I still believe that Americans should fight for marriage wherever we have a chance. And not just for its own sake, although that is hugely practically important, but because marriage equality confers a legitimacy that will carry over, I think, to so many other parts of life. It's very hard to consider, or harder, to consider people as second-class citizens when they can marry. One of the reasons that my partner, Bill, and I haven't gotten married yet, even though we've been together for over 14 years, is that since we don't have children, we would just rather wait until all the other loving couples that we know can marry as well. And although we don't face any kind of discrimination about our sexuality, it also helps, I think, remind me that being an unmarried couple does matter in lots of ways. A few times in the past few years, when things would happen around the country, I would think, well, maybe I should start planning my wedding. Maybe we'll be able to do it soon. Maybe, there, maybe gay marriage will come, and then Bill and I can get married, too. And then something else would happen around the country, and I would just throw out that folder, and I would say, well, that's never going to happen. But overall, I'm hopeful. I am hopeful, and not just because attitudes are changing, but because more states here and there will recognize marriage equality, and it's going to become, I hope, so obviously ridiculous to have people going on vacation and while they're driving across the country being married and not married and married again and not married again. It's absurd. It's absurd. And so I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that it'll become obvious that the institution of marriage is for everyone and that it can only be strengthened. It can only be helped by having more loving couples committing to each other and building strong families. So if you know anyone in Missouri, please tell them about the love bus and help spread the word and help spread the love. Thank you.